Wow, so great to sing with y'all, and uh, I want to welcome you to Gospel City Church today, and I uh, hope you have your Bible with you. You can take it out and open to Luke chapter 24, going to be in verses 36 through 49 today, and I want to welcome you if you're joining us online. I'm very thankful that in this day and age, if you're feeling sick or if you're maybe not feeling comfortable getting out into a big group, that you can engage with us online. Let me encourage you to do that today. Don't just watch church, but engage with it. I believe God wants to meet you exactly where you are today, and he has power to do so. So get your eyes on a copy of God's word. For everyone in the room, we're so glad that you can come and worship with us and sing together and open God's word together. Every time you see a camera in this room, pray for the people on the other side of that camera because there's a lot of people on the other side of that camera engaging and joining us in church. And so praise God for the technology that we have to get it out that way, right? And uh, as you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, 36 through 49, if you've been with us for a while, Pastor Trent already said, we've been going verse by verse by verse through the book of Luke. Today's the 59th sermon. He'll come next week, give you the 60th sermon. That's an awesome accomplishment as Gospel City Church. But as pastors, as leaders, we've kind of marveled a little bit at how specific topics from the book of Luke have showed up on specific Sundays, right whenever we kind of needed them to. It's almost as if God knows exactly what we need to hear when we need to hear it. I think he knows exactly what he's doing, right? We're not picking topics. We're not trying to pick something that fits the times. We're simply opening the word of God because we believe it has power to change us. Whenever we look at every word, it reproves us, it corrects us, it changes us into more of a likeness of his son. So today's no different. I'm excited about it. You remember, but for review, two weeks ago, we celebrated Easter Luke chapter 24, the stone was rolled away. Jesus came out of the tomb. He is risen. Last week, Jesus was on the road to Emmaus with Cleopas and his friend. They're walking, they're talking, eventually breaking bread. They realize it's Jesus and he vanishes right before their eyes. And they do what anyone would have done. They finished their meal, went to bed that evening. No, they got up and they ran seven miles back to Jerusalem so they could tell somebody that Jesus is alive. And that's where our text picks up today. But before we read it, a couple interesting things about today's passage. Luke is doing several things in today's text. First, he's compiling evidence of Christ's resurrection. He's answering the arguments, building a case, and showing us the importance of Christ's bodily resurrection, the fact that Christ walked out of that grave in human form. We'll talk about why that's so important. Second thing Luke is doing is masterfully painting for us the great commission for all believers. He's giving us the implications that should come with the resurrection. This isn't a message that we just simply feel comfortable about, but we should be doing something about it. And so the point of today's text is this, that we would have confidence that Jesus is risen and that we would have an urgency to proclaim his message to the nations. If that doesn't fire you up this morning, you are in the wrong place. I'm fired up. Are you fired up with me? All right, so get your eyes on a copy of God's word. We're going to read the entire section, Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 49. Allow his word to speak to us today. Hear the word of the Lord. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? 
See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat here? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold... I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord this morning. And I got three points for you from this great text, okay? The first point that we're going to look at is the evidence proclaims that Jesus is risen. The evidence proclaims that Jesus is risen. Now, as Luke is getting started in this particular passage. He's no dummy, all right? He's an investigator, and he's done research, and he's spoken with many by now who have had, uh, 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 had an experience meeting the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And Luke, this is probably written 30 years after the time that Jesus rose from the dead. And so Luke's heard the arguments. He's heard the argument that oh, someone just stole the body or they had the wrong tomb. He's heard these arguments, but he's done his research. He's investigated already in this chapter 24. We've seen that Jesus has appeared to three different parties. He appeared to Mary and the women. He appeared to Cleopas and his friend. And then in verse 34, when Cleopas and friend get to the room, they say he is risen indeed. And he has appeared to Simon Peter. So at some point, we don't have the details, but Jesus appeared to Simon Peter. You see what Luke's doing here. He takes three different accounts all resulting in the same story that Jesus is alive, masterful. He's painting for us the details, the evidence that Jesus is alive. And that's where our text picks up today. Verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. How many of you know that Jesus has impeccable timing? Jesus is never late. Jesus is never early. Jesus is always on time. And it's in this very moment, as the disciples are hearing from Cleopas and friend and Simon Peter that Jesus is alive, that Jesus appears in that room in that very instance. Crazy. It, it, it speaks very highly of the deity of Christ, the fact that he is God. He's omniscient. He knows what's going on, when it's going on. He knows the exact moment when his presence is needed. Some of you just need to hear that today. Some of you need Jesus to show up in the midst of whatever you're facing. You can trust him that he knows what's going on. You can trust him and call upon him and wait for him because he knows exactly when to show up. But notice... Here's this room full of people hearing from a few that Jesus is risen. Jesus appears in the room out of nowhere and he speaks peace to you. I can't help but imagine everyone in that room in that instant. They must have froze in time. Do you have like a song that 
is kind of nostalgic to you when you hear it. Like maybe God used a song to draw you to him. And when you hear that song, you get kind of teary-eyed and you think about it. You go back to that moment. Or maybe you just drove around in your Corvette or something as a 16-year-old. And there's just a song that brings you nostalgia. I don't know. But, but I imagine the disciples in this moment, that familiar voice that they thought was gone. It probably brought back so many memories. That familiar voice that they thought, man, I'm never going to hear that comforting, peaceful voice again. And all of a sudden in the room, he speaks peace to you. I'm, I'm sure their minds went back to that same voice that said, cast the net to the other side of the boat. I'm sure their mind went back to the moment when Jesus said, rise up and follow me. Or rise up, your faith has made me well. Your faith has made you well. Or, or maybe the time that Jesus said, peace, be still on the Sea of Galilee when a storm rose up. That, that familiar, comforting voice that they thought they'd never hear again shows up in the room that they're standing in and says, peace to you. Interesting, it's the first time that we see Jesus ever speaking peace to the individual. There's one other instance in scripture in John, but it's post-resurrection. Jesus was the bringer of peace. Jesus was the prince of peace. And yet after death, Jesus says peace to you because there is no longer enmity between God and man. Isn't that incredible? Jesus shows up on the scene and he brings peace to their panic. He brings peace to their wondering. He brings peace to their fears, peace to their questions, peace between God and man. Incredible. There's always a but with the disciples of so verse 37. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Well, wouldn't you be? If someone that you loved who passed away showed up right beside you in your seat this morning, you'd absolutely freak out. I would freak out. So the disciples here, they think they see a ghost, but indeed he's not a ghost. We know that he wasn't scary in his appearance. Like Mary already mistaken him for a gardener and Cleopas and friend just took a nice stroll with this stranger and invited him in for a meal. So he wasn't scary, but what Luke's doing here is diving in to show us that this indeed is their friend Jesus. Sure, he had a glorified and a perfected body post-death, but he had a human body nonetheless. A human body nonetheless. We'll talk about why that's important. Verse 38. And Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Again, we see the deity of Christ in Jesus. He can speak directly to their hearts. He sees the disciples' hearts. He sees that they have doubts in their hearts and he speaks directly to it. Jesus can see your heart here today. Some of you have these exact same doubts. How could Jesus have risen from the dead. Man, I believe that there's a God, a higher power. I believe that maybe he gave his life for me, but really can somebody just rise up out of a grave and walk out, walk this earth? If you have doubts this morning, you're in good company. Even the disciples had doubts in their hearts, but Jesus is intimately and intricately involved with your deepest questions, your deepest desires. And he has patience with his disciples. He could have scolded them for fleeing and for denying him and for hiding and being fearful. Yet Jesus, he asked these rhetorical questions. I don't think he was looking for an answer, but he says, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? 
Jesus wants his disciples to simply use their mind in this moment. It's almost as if he's saying, hey guys, just think for a second. Think about what you've seen me do. Like you've seen me open blind eyes. You see me open deaf ears. You see me heal the sick. You walked with me for three years and I told of a coming kingdom. I broke bread in front of you and blessed juice. And I said, it's my body broken and my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. You saw me call my friend Lazarus out of the grave. You heard that the stone was rolled away, that the tomb was empty, that my grave clothes were there. You heard that I was alive and still you're startled. Still you disbelieve. Still you have wonders in your heart. Jesus appeals to their mind. He wants us to use our minds even here today. He wants us to put in the work. There's, there's plenty of evidence for a well-thought-out, well-reasoned faith. We'll talk about that the power's not in your homework today, but this isn't giddy, easy believism. Like this is something that we work to understand. We love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus wants them to use their mind in this moment. Plenty for the disciples to find truth in, but Jesus is compassionate and patient. And he continues to show them that he is truly alive. He starts to appeal to their senses. Verse 39, he says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. So Jesus, he shows them his hands. He shows them his feet. At this point, the disciples have heard him speak. They're using their mind and thinking. Now they're seeing his hands and his feet. Jesus says, see that it is I myself. That can be translated in the Greek to, it is I am. Jesus isn't being shy about the fact that he is the God man. He always said, I am that I am. John records those seven I am statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, I am the resurrection and the life. That makes sense. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am that I am, and I am alive standing right before you. Jesus doesn't stop. He continues, you see the great lengths at which Jesus will be patient with us and compassionate with us to show us that he is alive, that he is risen to his friends. He goes on in the second half of verse 39, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Jesus invites them to touch his hands touch his feet. Notice he didn't say I'm flesh and blood. He didn't, he could have returned however he wanted to from the dead. I mean, he could have, you know, ascended back into heaven in his eternal state. And yet there's very necessary importance in Jesus bodily human resurrection, him getting up out of that grave and walking out and standing amongst his friends as real as you and I are standing here today, bones wrapped in human flesh. Verse 41, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. So at this point, the disciples are just like, this is way too good to be true. Way too good to be true. I mean, Jesus is taking so much time. He's showing them his hands, showing them his feet, letting them see him, letting them hear, giving them past examples, and they still disbelieve for joy. It's too good to be true. I want it to be true. One commentator says it like this. Their joy was so great 
and his appearance was so sudden and unexpected that they were bewildered and still sought more evidence of the truth of what they wished to believe. Some of you, this is where you get hung up. I wish I could just believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Man, I believe there's a higher power. I believe in a God. Did he give his life for me? But, but man, can people come back from the dead? Can people come back from the dead? The, the question you may be asking, question that the disciples were asking, it's too good to be true. But Jesus, he continues on. While they were still disbelieved for joy, while they were marveling, he said to them, he gave them like a theological sermon about death, gave them the secrets to his resurrection. No, look what he says. Have you anything to eat here? I think that's brilliant, right? Jesus waking up from the dead, stepping into the room. Everybody's shocked. And he's like, brother's got to eat. You got anything to eat here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. See, Jesus probably was hungry. His last supper was probably the last supper. And so he hadn't eaten in a few days. He got arrested and he was tried and convicted and beaten and mocked and nailed to a tree and he died a death and he was wrapped in grave clothes and put in a tomb and a stone was rolled in front of that tomb for three days. Jesus hadn't eaten in a while. He was hungry. He was human. But his eating here is proving so much more than the fact that he was hungry. His eating is proving his humanness. His eating is proving his risenness. His eating is proving that Jesus is indeed alive. Can a spirit eat a piece of fish in front of you? You've touched me. You've heard me. You've seen me. And now I'll eat this fish stick right here in front of you just to prove it. You see how compassionate and patient Jesus is. So Luke, he very specifically gives us the details of this house full of people who are not only using their minds, but they saw and heard and touched and shared a meal with the person of Jesus Christ back from the dead. Why would Luke choose to take this passage of scripture and teach us that, teach the reader that? Because there's importance in the bodily human resurrection of Jesus. Let me tell you why. The reason that that's important is because Jesus resurrecting in bodily human form shows the efficiency of the atoning work of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Him rising up out of that grave shows the power that he had when he went to the cross and when he was buried and when he rose again. Don't miss this. Catch this. Sin has, two, sin has a twofold problem, okay? Sin has a twofold problem. We know that Jesus came for our sins, but do we understand exactly what he was doing? Sin has a twofold problem. It has a penalty that we cannot pay, and it is a power that we cannot overcome. You got that? It's a penalty that we cannot pay, and it's a power that we cannot overcome. The penalty part, uh, the penalty for sin is death, right? It does, sin doesn't make you bad, it makes you dead, spiritually speaking, that every person in this world comes into this world falling short of the glory of God. Your soul in itself is sinful and you are separated from the God of the universe. Romans 6 says that the wages of that sin, the payment for that sin is death, okay? So when Jesus rose up out of that grave, 
It was, this, it was as if he was cashing out on the payment that was for our sin. If Jesus was still in his grave, dead, he'd be still paying the penalty of our sin. And yet when Jesus got up and walked out of that grave and walked into that room, it was as if he was saying, the penalty for your sin is paid in full. Incredible. I think we get that part, but, but did you know that sin is also a power that we can't overcome? See, sin has all kinds of power. Sin has the power to make you bitter. Sin has the power to make you jealous, addicted, angry, crazy, anxious. But sin's greatest power is to kill you. Sin's greatest power, what sin wants to do in your life to you is kill you. And when you are dead in your trespasses and sins, you will be damned to hell for all eternity. Separation from God for all eternity if you die in your trespasses and in your sins. And so if Jesus was still in the grave, if death is the payment for sin and the power of sin and Christ is still in his grave, we could echo today what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. Your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. If Jesus hadn't got up out of that grave and walked into that room, our faith here today is worthless. We would still be in our sins. But when Jesus came out of that grave and left his grave clothes behind and walked into the room with the disciples in the same human form as before death, he was not only the proof of the payment of sin, but he was stealing sin's power once and for all who would call upon his mighty name. And he did it all while eating a piece of fish in front of his disciples. Isn't that awesome? Doesn't that pump you up this morning? Like I'm fired up. It's the reason that we can proclaim with Paul today, not that our sins and our faith is worthless, but that, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because Jesus is alive, sin doesn't have any power over me. I don't have to stay stuck in my sinful ways. I can deny myself. I can pick up my cross. I can follow Jesus Christ because he is alive. The evidence proclaims that Jesus is risen. But not only that, point number two, the scriptures proclaim that Jesus is risen. The scriptures proclaim that Jesus is risen and Jesus begins to speak to them in verse 44. Luke sort of shifts in his account here. And Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Can't you just sense the hint of like playful sarcasm that Jesus often has with his disciples? Like, hey guys, I've told you these things before. You've been with me for three years. This isn't new stuff to you. I've told you these things when I was still with you before I died. He says, everything written about me. Jesus isn't being shy about his deity. He is God in the flesh, standing right before their eyes, the Messiah. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. You want to do a mind-blowing study, go back in the Old Testament and study the prophecies that foretold of a coming Messiah. We don't have time to get into it all today, but, but hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever came to this earth 
It was prophesied that there'd be a Messiah and that there'd be a crucifixion and that he would give his life and his hands would be pierced and his feet would be pierced. And here's Jesus standing before his disciples, letting them touch his hands and his feet before crucifixion was even a form of punishment. All those years before, prophesied that someone would be crucified. Psalm 22, quickly, speaks in great detail of Christ's crucifixion. Isaiah 9 tells of a baby being born who would be the prince of peace. And here we see Jesus, post-death, speaking peace to his followers because he has broken down the wall between God and man. Incredible. Isaiah 53 says, by his wounds, we would be healed. Jesus is showing off his wounds. And on and on and on, the Old Testament spoke very clearly of what the disciples were seeing fulfilled right before their very eyes. The the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms is essentially the whole Old Testament for us. The, The Jews would have broke it up into three categories, the three that you see there. And so they had this. They've read this. The disciples were familiar with it. And they're seeing prophecy fulfilled before their eyes. And then we go to verse 45. Then he, being Jesus, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Light bulb after light bulb after light bulb must have been going on for the disciples in this very moment. But remember... They'd heard and they've read all this before. They've walked with Christ. They've seen him do miraculous things. They're standing before his resurrected body. And still, it takes the power of God to open their minds to the understanding of the scriptures. Don't miss that this morning. You might be the most intellectual person here today. You might have done all the research you, might have, you may be on a journey to try to prove that this is right or this is wrong. But your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. See, that, that's the power that sin has over us. The power that sin has over our minds is that it, it tries to get us to know so much that we forget to inform our hearts, which moves us to belief and belief moves us into action and faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says to seek him and he will be found. You got to seek for him, search for him the way that he's asked you to at his word, trusting him, setting aside your knowledge and your intellect so so that you won't just love him with your mind, but with your heart, soul, and strength, whole person caught up in the adoration of Jesus. If you truly want to understand this morning, it can be found in his word, by his power. Trust him, seek him with your whole heart. We'd love to talk to you after the service if you want to ask questions about understanding more, but it's ultimately by the power of God alone that we see. If you can understand today, it's a gift from God. And then Jesus goes on in 46, and he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. If Jesus were here today, talking to Gospel City Church today, 
the message that he would proclaim in this space is live sent. You hear it all the time here. Uh, You saw a great example of it last week whenever the stage was full of wonderful, beautiful people who are being sent to the city of South Bend. What an awesome thing. They believe they have a message to declare. They believe they have a message to proclaim and they don't want to sit on it. So they want to take it to the streets. They want to take it to our city and proclaim that Jesus is alive so that more people than can fit in this room can know this truth. Jesus is telling his disciples to live sent. He tells us to live sent. And he's giving us the clear message of the gospel in Luke chapter 24, verse 46. Do you know it? Like if I was to ask you to share with me the good news of the gospel in under two minutes, could you do it? As a staff, sometimes we practice this in staff meetings. We say, hey, so-and-so, would you share the gospel with our staff so that we can understand exactly how we are to declare it? But Jesus, he gives it to us in about 30 seconds. We've already talked that we're sinful and that we're fallen and that we're in need of a savior. But guess what? Christ suffered. Jesus didn't have to suffer. Jesus didn't have to die. But guess what? He willingly gave up his life and suffered for our sins in our place as a substitute for our sins. But guess what? Part of the gospel. He didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again from the grave and he paid the penalty of sin and he stole the power of sin. Now, there's always a response when we understand that Jesus gave his life and Jesus rose again. Some of you stop there. But the gospel doesn't stop there. The gospel has a response when it comes to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the first piece to that response, Jesus tells us, is repentance. We talk about repentance all the time. Repentance is turning from your sin. I I have a friend who posted on a video this week. He said that as he was growing in his faith, he learned about repentance. and And it was that, God, everything that you show me from my past that's sin and everything I come to find out that's sin in the future, I'll turn my back on those things and go your way. That's really what repentance is. It's turning our back on the things of this world so that we might follow what Christ has asked us to follow in his word. Have you repented? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord because he's faithful and he's just to do what it says in the second part of our response, forgiveness Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. Jesus wants to forgive your sins today. Jesus wants to forgive the sins of this world. These people who would call upon him, cry out to him. There's people here today who think, man, I've done way too much wrong to deserve forgiveness. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. My arms are open wide. I gave my life for you so that you could live a life you don't deserve. And then there's people here today who maybe feel like, man, I haven't done a lot of wrong. Like, do I actually need forgiven? And Jesus says, man, you need forgiven as much as the worst person you could think up in your mind needs forgiven. And guess what? Because your soul is separated from me. And even if you feel like you might have power over sin today, you could never pay the penalty of sin on your own by your own works. And so Jesus is inviting you to come to him for he alone gives us forgiveness and we're supposed to proclaim it. Proclaim repentance and forgiveness. Are you doing that? Are you doing it? We'll get there in a second. But Jesus says in his name, there's 
No power in any other name but the name of Jesus. No message without the name of Jesus that has any power. There's no power in the name of Gospel City Church today. There's no power certainly in Micah Klutnati today. There's no power in your favorite pastor that you follow on social media today. The only power is in the name that is above every name, the name at which every knee will bow, the name of Jesus Christ who gave his life so that we might find ours and proclaim it. And look what he says, to the nations. Man, we should be thankful for that today. We should be thankful that this message wasn't just for the Jewish people, that this wasn't just for Jerusalem, that this wasn't just for the disciples. This message has made its way throughout the nations to 2020, and you're sitting here today as evidence of it. It's truth. It's powerful. It can change your life. Verse 48, Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. Are you thankful that the disciples did their job? I hope you are. What Jesus is giving them here informs our today. And just as Jesus put them on mission to proclaim this great message, this glorious good news to the nations, leads us to point number three. I'm going to give it to you in question form. Do you proclaim that Jesus is risen? Man, the evidence are proclaiming it. The scriptures are proclaiming it. The disciples proclaimed it. Do you proclaim that Jesus is risen? Just as the disciples were witnesses to the peace that surpasses understanding, there are many here today who are witnesses to the same thing. God's witnesses are all over this world. Are you one of them? Many here today have experienced the power and the forgiveness that comes through receiving the free gift of grace in Christ Jesus. What are you doing about it? Man, the gospel is not something that we can sit on. This is not a message to keep. God didn't intend for us to have this beautiful building and these cushioned seats so that we could feel good about ourselves and the fact that we know that he died for us and rose again. God is beckoning us. He's calling us. He's urging us to share this message with boldness and with clarity and with passion and with power. Do you know what the gospel is? Do you believe it? Do you love it? Are you proclaiming it? Listen, the gospel is not the American dream. The gospel is not the American dream. Prosperity is not the gospel. Going to church and working your hardest to be a good person is not the gospel. Being born into a Christian family is not the gospel. Having Jesus as hell insurance so that you can go live your life however you want is not the gospel. Religious self-help, not the gospel. A message to help you feel better about yourself is not the gospel. Being radically committed to the Christian religion is not the gospel. A message that leads you to believe that you can earn God's favor is not the gospel. A message that is just about having better morals is not the gospel. A message that only addresses your behaviors, not the gospel. The gospel is not what would Jesus do, now go and do that. The gospel is what has Jesus done, believe it, and repent, and follow Christ. Do you get that? Do you believe it? Christ suffered. 
Christ rose again. Repentance and forgiveness of sins can be found in his name. Now proclaim it. You know, I I think the disciples, I'm sure they felt, I'm sure the disciples felt insufficient at what Jesus was asking them to do. Like Jesus is calling them, these fishermen and these tax collectors, these ordinary guys, to take the message of Jesus to the nations. I'm sure they were like, dude, we can't even talk in public. <laughs> you want us to do that? You know, we, we, we complicate the gospel. It's a simple message, as you see. And yet it takes the power of God, but God never intended on us to be on our own. Look what it says in verse 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high Jesus is always true to his promises and that day Jesus promised his followers that they would never be alone that they would never have to declare a message in the name of Jesus without the help of his father sending the Holy Spirit And he tells them to stay right where they are until they're clothed with power from on high. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, God wanted to put inside his followers so that they could rise up and so that they could tell with passion the nations to follow Jesus. So they could declare and know without a shadow of a doubt that their faith deserves to be shared and spread you know it this morning? Did you know that the same power that filled the disciples, that clothed the disciples is available to you through the message and the good news of Jesus Christ? And what are you doing with it? If you have it, don't hide it. Share it. Proclaim it. Not just in song, but in word. Come on, I want you to stand to your feet with me. Just stay in the spirit of worship for a moment. We've heard the word of the Lord today what Luke was trying to accomplish in this. Open your hands up to the Lord. Tell him you want to be his servant today. If he's given you understanding today, then thank him for it because it's a gift from him alone. If he's put his spirit inside of you this morning, thank him because it's the power of God in your life. Every eye closed, hands opened as if to say, Lord, here I am, send me. I want to challenge you, Gospel City Church. Who can you proclaim Christ suffered and rose again and there's repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name too this week are you proclaiming it I want to challenge you to share your faith take it to the streets start in Michiana start in Granger start in South Bend start in Elkhart start in Edwardsburg but don't hide it Don't sit on it. Proclaim it to the nations.
the fact that we're still breathing air in this year of 2020 where everything seems to be out of control. Why hasn't God returned yet? Why is everything going crazy? Why won't God just come back? You know why? Because he's not done with you and he's not done making witnesses for him and he's building a kingdom and he still has children to draw to himself. So we have to proclaim it with passion and urgency. We've already sung the gospel this day. We're gonna sing it to close. I want you to lift up your voice in this place. In the morning that you rose, all of heaven, come on, let's sing it. In the morning that you rose, all of heaven, Till the storms move for good For the land we conquered today And the day goes from their tomb And the angels stood in awe For the souls of all who come To the Father of Come on, declare it! And the church of Christ was born come in this place and we proclaim with our voices today as your people called by your name out of darkness into your marvelous light but Lord you called us so we proclaim the excellencies of your name so we proclaim this truth and so as we've already sung this gospel truth will not kneel it won't bow we're going to proclaim it to the nations so that you might draw as many people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as possible. So God, give us urgency this week. Put people in our paths this week. Put words in our mouths this week. And would you give us those divine appointments where you show up and you allow us to speak truth into the fallen world that desperately needs Jesus. We thank you for resurrecting us in Christ. We thank you that the penalty has been paid and that the power has been conquered in Christ Jesus. We give you glory and honor and adoration. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.